Thank you so much for joining us online. We want Bethany to be a place where people can get connected to God, to each other, and to the world. If you would like someone to talk to or to pray for you, you can email us at prayer at bethanysite.com. We also greatly appreciate everyone that gives so generously at Bethany. If you'd like to give, you can do so by clicking Give in the top right menu on our homepage at bethanysite.com. Again, thank you for joining us online. We hope that this service will be a blessing to you. Hello, Bethany. Now, it's so good to see everyone, and if you're uh, watching online, we just want to welcome you to our worship service, and if you would turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 14, John chapter 14, uh, we're in the study of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be reading to you verse uh, 15 uh, through 24, the Lord Jesus uh, is in the upper room uh, where we have, uh, if you... Um, uh, have been following along. He's having the Last Supper with his disciples, you know, the night before he um, uh, goes to the cross, and he um, is sharing his heart with his disciples. So let me read to you, and this is uh, uh, this promise about the promise of the Holy Spirit. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. And before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you." Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, and my Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. And if you follow along in our, um, our app, the sermon app, uh, you, we have these numbers and you can just kind of follow along. So number one, the promised Holy Spirit. And this is where we left off last week. Uh, verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. And that word for advocate is um, where in English transliterated we get the word paraclete. And you'll sometimes see a church that's called the Church of the Holy Paraclete. And it's not about uh, paracletes like football cleats or baseball cleats. It's this idea of the Holy Spirit coming alongside. Para is the idea of coming alongside. My my wife, I told you last week, um, is a, a para nurse. She comes alongside students and she helps them medically, but she also walks through their day and, and helps them. So this is the idea that the Holy Spirit is the helper, and it's translated in different versions as uh, counselor and comforter and intercessor, and it's the idea of uh, this, this paraclete coming alongside. And I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity. There's God the Father, 
God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a person. He's not uh, just a force or a power or, or a wind. Uh, many times cults will always try to make it uh, him just a force or a power or wind. There's a verse, Ephesians 4.30, that says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And you can't grieve a power or a force or a wind, but you can grieve a person. So the Holy Spirit is being promised here, and it's the most wonderful thing that Jesus goes into this detail, that he's coming along, the spirit of truth, and he says later in the chapter, and we'll get to that next week, or the week after, is this idea that he will be our advocate, the spirit of truth, and will teach us all things. So he'll always come alongside. And so if you're a Christian... You know, he's in you and he's with you. And if you're coming to Christ, when you come to Christ and you take that step, one of the things that happens is you'll receive the Holy Spirit who will be with you and in you. So uh, number two, he will live with you and in you. And those words with, again, we see this word uh, para, he'll be with us and then in us. And these are prepositions that described and this, this idea of the Holy Spirit being inside of us. And it says, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. And before that, he says the world cannot accept him because they, never, they don't see him and they don't know him. But you know him. So if you're a Christian, you can know the Holy Spirit. And it's wonderful. And number three, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. If you remember in the last few weeks as we've been looking at uh, this, this Last Supper, Jesus says, I'm going to be leaving. And he's talking about his death on the cross. And then he says, but I'm going to come back to you. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And if you uh, notice on the, on the notes, that word orphan uh, is really, you know, kind of just translate, transliterated from the original language, uh, orphanos. It's just the idea of an orphan without parents. And so God becomes our father and he becomes our heavenly father and we won't be left as orphans. Number four, because I live, you will live. And Jesus is talking about this idea of being resurrected and I'm going to be resurrected and because I'm resurrected, you also will be alive. And this is the idea that we can enter into this resurrected life. The number five is this emphasis and this is where John's language sometimes can be a little on the dense side, but he uses these formulas of I and you and you and me and I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. And he says, on that day, verse 20, you will realize that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. I cannot even... I'm. I'm so inadequate to go into the depths and describe how wonderful this is. But just let me just try a little bit. So on that day, you know, there's some scholars that say this is talking about the resurrection. When you see the resurrected Christ, you guys are going to be blown away. And that in that day, you're going to realize, you're going to really know that I'm in my Father and you are in me and I'm in you. But there's other scholars say, no, this is the day of Pentecost. You know, it's 50 days, you know, after Passover, 50 days after uh, the crucifixion. And they say, no, it's Pentecost. And so your pastor, I'll step down here and give you my opinion. You know, is it the resurrection or is it Pentecost? And to me, the answer is, 
Yes, okay. So uh, when he's talking about the day, it's that whole day of what is happening and what, what Jesus is doing. And so in that day, you'll realize, and if you come to Christ, one of the first things that begins to happen is the light bulb goes on, and you begin to realize that God is real, and there's really objective, there's objective truth, and, and, and that God speaks to you, and the, the Bible becomes illuminated, and there's something wonderful about that. And the word that he uses for realize can also be translated no and it's like the deepest no it's like really knowing it's uh, the knowledge of, uh, uh, of it's described sometimes like between a love between a man and a woman they get married and they know one another and so this is the idea that you know and then it says I am in my father you are in me and I am in you and we talked about this last week of this preposition in. So one of the best descriptions is marriage. So before you get married, you're outside of marriage. And then you get married and you take a step. You sign a paper. You say, I do. And you are in marriage. Or if you're a family, you get married. And then you have your first child and you have this baby. The moment that child is born... It's in the family. You can't, you know, uh, throw it away. You can't, get, you can't discipline it and say, okay, you're not in the family anymore. You know, like you get a three-year-old and he pulls all the toilet paper out. You know, say, okay, that's it. You're not in the family anymore. We want you to leave. You know, you're in the family. And this is the idea that, that you are in. But even greater than that is the idea of being in love. And he begins to describe this union, describes it in my father and you are in me and I am in you. And then connected to verse 21, number six, uh, agape love. And the original word that's used here in the original language is this highest word for love, agape. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me, agapes me, agapeo me. And the one who loves me will be agapeo by my father. And I too will agapeo them. I will agape them and show thyself to them. And this is the idea of falling in love. Now, most of you have heard so many stories about um, my wife. I tell stories about Elaine because she is uh, next to me. She's the person I know the best. So... um, because we all know each other. You guys didn't laugh at that. So anyway, my, my wife, um, when I fell in love with her, I think I've told the story. We, we taught children's church together, and uh, we were living in the San Fernando Valley, and, and uh, we were teenagers. I think I was 16, she was 15, and I was supposed to be the team captain. And we had uh, the 11 o'clock service at this um, church, First Baptist Church of Reseda. And uh, I was in charge. They said they had given me some people to work in children's church. And uh, I was sitting uh, to the side talking to some people that I was trying to, like, train them, you know, because we were going to go through this children's church program. And it was the first Sunday that I was taking over. And this beautiful girl walked in. And it was Elaine. And she had hair down to her tailbone. It was strawberry blonde. She was so beautiful to me. I don't know, God just struck me or I got struck or whatever it was. It was like, oh, my goodness. And my whole team I could talk to because there was some, you know, young teenagers that were helping me. And there was a, an older lady and there were some other gals. But I could never talk to someone I liked. You know, I just didn't know what to do. And I got all tongue-tied. But because I was in charge, you know, I could 
kind of talk to her that way, you know. And, uh, and uh, I said, you know, you, you came a little bit late. Maybe we could um, have some time and I could show you what we're going to be doing. And um, so I, that's what started, you know. And I was just like, oh, my goodness. And I remember thinking, you know, that's the gal I'm going to marry. Now, I have lots of parents of teenagers say, don't say that. But it was for me, love at first sight. For Elaine, it took her quite a while to warm up to me. But it was, it was awesome. And I remember the first time we held hands. And it was in church. And I reached over. It was so painful, you know, getting them enough guts to reach over, and I held her hands, and my hands were super sweaty, you know, and her hands were so cool and beautiful, and she had beautiful hands, and I just, I just sat there, and then she squeezed my hand, like, this is okay, and I was like, oh my goodness, and I want you to know that I was in love with Elaine, and she fell in love with George. And this language, agape love, is not just eros love. That's one of the Greek words for love, you know, which is physical love. It's not phileo love, not just friendship love or brotherly or family love. Or not even uh, the love of something um, hideous is what C.S. Lewis calls it, storge love, which is the love of um, something that hideous that happens, like your, your bride is in an accident and becomes uh, paralyzed or... If someone has a stroke, and whoever uh, has storge love loves them no matter what. But this is the highest love, targeting love. This is the love of God. And this is what Jesus is saying. I want you to know that you will love me. As you obey me, you will love me with agape love. And my Father will love you, and I will love you. And then he begins to talk about this and show myself to you. I'm going to show myself to you, reveal myself. And then he gets interrupted by Judas. Not Judas Iscariot, the one that betrays him, who is at this time, he frame you, he's out betraying him. And we think this might be Thaddeus. You know, a lot of times these disciples had other names. So uh, we think it might be Thaddeus. And he says, Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world, because they were wanting Jesus to show himself off to the world. They, he, they were wanting him to, to become the, the Messiah king, throw out the Romans and set up his earthly kingdom. And he says, why aren't you going to show yourself to the, to the world? Why are you just going to show yourself to us? And Jesus answers that in verse 23. And this is the most astounding, astonishing verse, if you think about it. And I'm going to land on this verse and talk about this. I almost named the message at home with God, number seven, at home with God. Jesus replied, without even skipping a beat, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Make our home with them. Home is like the most important thing here. Uh, it's the word that we've seen before in actually um, uh, John 14, 2, where Jesus said, my father's house has many rooms. And this word home here, Monet, can be a dwelling place, a home, an abode, an abiding place, a residence, a domicile. And it's the idea of being at home. Another scripture puts it this way, 1 Corinthians six nineteen: Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God, you are not your own. 
And this is the idea. When you come to Christ, the Holy Spirit goes in you and leads you and guides you and directs you. And that is his temple. That is his home. But here it says the Father will love them. And Jesus says, and we will come to them and make our home with them. And home. Home is the most wonderful thing. It's the place where you have this sense of belonging. It's a place where we feel belonging. If you have a good home, you have a functional, not a dysfunctional home, but a good home, it's this feeling of belonging. It's a place where we have a deep emotional connection. At home, we are free to be ourselves. When I get home, I can be myself. Elaine can be herself. We're at home. It's so wonderful. Uh, 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so when we come to Christ and we have the Holy Spirit, there's a freedom that we have, and God is at home with us, and we are at home with him and we can kick off our shoes and and put our feet up and we don't have to feel guarded and we don't have to walk on eggshells and it is the most wonderful thing my my grandson uh, Wesley he's uh, going to be 5 in August and I tell a lot of stories about him but he um he uh, comes into our house and it's it's like a second home cuz he can you know pretty much be himself at grand grandparents house and he comes running in and he just looks at me and and says can I play with my toys and I said yes and you know he calls them his toys I said but sometimes I'll say you know those are my toys I know but they're my toys too and then he runs upstairs to my bedroom at the foot of our bed we have this huge antique trunk and he opens it up and inside are all these big beautiful Star Wars toys you know, I mean, all the, you know, it's the, you know, it's the one, uh, one that Harrison Ford drives, you know, or flies. Uh, it's uh, all kinds of uh, Star Wars toys, even the little speeder. We have a little speeder that kind of bounces, you know, because it's on springs. And it just is so cool. And he just gets them out and he spreads them all over our bedroom. And he, he, he just is allowed to do whatever he wants because he's our grandson and he can make himself at home. Now, if you came and visited us and you went upstairs and opened my box and started getting out my toys, I'd have to talk to you. And there's something that's really cool about this idea of God being at home with us. And there's a lot of people walking around that does not feel worthy. They do not feel worthy to have God in them and with them, making himself at home. But Jesus said, behold, I stand at the door, Revelations 3.20, and knock. And if anyone hears that knock and opens the door, I will come in. And much of the, of the stuff that I'm telling you right now is, is home language. And home resonates with us as, as humans. It's one of the deepest things. And uh, one of my favorite movies, favorite, favorite movies that I saw, I think it was 1982. I needed, I was working as uh, assistant pastor and part of my thing was taking the youth group and we were going on a mission trip. We were going to go up to, uh, from Southern California, go up to Northern California and go to Calveras County. And we were going to stay at the Calveras County Big Trees and Camp. And then we were going to put on vacation Bible schools at little churches that didn't have the means to do that. And I was going to scout it out. So I went up. We had no children at the time, but Elaine was pregnant with um, George the Third. And so 
I, we went up, I went up by myself and I started scouting out, you know, camping. I camped by myself, uh, which is not my favorite thing. And I camped and put up a tent. And, uh, and I went and checked all the churches out, did all that through the day. And then it started getting to be evening. And I was bored to tears. And so I went into this little town that's in the Calveras County, this little town that's on Highway 49. And they had an old-time movie house. And they were showing this new movie called E.T. And I went to it, and I sat down. And I'm lonely. I'm tired. I'm missing a lane. Nothing better than watching a movie, right? So it comes on. And it's like one of the most wonderful movies I've ever seen. And there's this space creature, you know, E.T. And the whole time, the biggest point of the whole thing is he keeps pointing up into space because he's from, you know, another planet. And he goes, home, home, home. And I start blubbering. Because I miss home. I want to be home. And it just resonated in me. And it's so theological, you know, that we, we're not really at home here. But this is the idea that God comes to us and he makes his home in our heart. He makes his home with us. And we can be home. And I remember, you know, back then we didn't have cell phones. And so I found a pay uh, phone, you know, after the movie. And I told Elaine, I have seen the greatest movie ever, you know, is E.T. And I blubbered and cried. We're going to see it together when I get home. She talked to me and says, okay, now go back to your tent and sleep, and I'll see you soon. So uh, she didn't get as emotional as me. But there's something about homes that, number one, two things about functional homes, not uh, dysfunctional homes. And one of them is unconditional love. Unconditional love is where the parents, the father and the mother, give unconditional love to their kids. And we instinctively know that's the way it should be. The second thing is that there should be high expectations. High expectations. And so uh, if you don't have both of them, you'll end up with dysfunctionality. But if you have both of those, you expect high things from your kids, but you love them unconditionally. So, you know, one of the first expectations is for your kids to learn potty training. That's one of the first things. And don't say you didn't expect that. You do expect it. And there's even competition between parents sometimes. And whose child? Oh, well, my child was uh, trained by the time it was 13 months, you know. And there's someone with a four-year-old that's still having accidents. You know, it's just killer. But I've never seen a kid go off to college, you know, in diapers. So you don't have to worry about it. But there is something. We have high expectations. And all through their training and all through, we're giving them, uh, you know, unconditional love. We just love them. But we also have high expectations. And God is our heavenly father. And he comes to us. He's with us. And he's in us. And there is this unconditional love. I don't care how you feel about yourself. I don't care if you have the worst self-image ever. God loves you unconditionally. But he also has high expectations. And you will be one of his disciples. That you too will love others. You will love him. You will follow Jesus. So I want to make this uh, practical. How do you take the concept of home, which is a huge concept, and you take the concept of time, 
You know, this, this word in, in verse 20, on that day you will realize that I'm in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And that word day is time. So how do we take the concept of God being at home with us and us being at home with him and put it into our calendar, put it into our time? So I have this uh, urgent, uh, important uh, matrix, and I kind of love these, and so there's four... Uh, quadrants in this and as you can see up there there's the urgent and the non-urgent and there's the important and the uh, unimportant and so the first quadrant I want to look at is the urgent and the important uh, quadrant and so uh, this one right here is the urgent and unimportant uh, quadrant and uh, it has uh, like for me uh, I have work deadlines. One of them is to have a sermon each uh, weekend. I have to have a sermon that's ready to go. And uh, the other one that can be for families is a diaper change. It's important and it's urgent, you know. Or if you have a health concern and you have a doctor's appointment, it's, it's important for you uh, to get there on time and it's urgent if you've got something going on. And then the other thing for me that's really important, and at times if I'm really hungry, it's urgent, is dinner. I don't know if you guys know how important that is. I don't know if you've ever had people that get grouchy, they get hangry because, you know, it's urgent and also it's important. And the other one is family finances and bills and getting them out on time. And there's a lot of stress, you know, with uh, money, especially nowadays. People are uptight about money and uptight about finances. But uh, those are things that are urgent and they're important. The second, the second uh, box uh, that's right down here is uh, things that are unimportant, unimportant, but they're urgent. And they press you to respond to them. One of them is interruptions. We have interruptions. People interrupt us. You know, things go wrong. Little things kind of bug us. You know, things that happen. Even like gossip, you know, at work. You know, people are gossiping. And it's just, it's unimportant, but it's urgent. Hey, did you hear about Mary? Hey, did you hear about Bob? Uh, spam calls. You know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a boomer. And so I get a lot of spam calls, you know. And sometimes I don't know not to answer them. So once I answer one, I'm going to get, a th- you know, 25 the rest of the week, you know. And then phone notifications. I don't know how to turn that thing off, but I get phone notifications about football from ESPN, you know, ding, ding, you know, and how, how do you ignore that? That's important. Ding, ding. My phone is ding, dinging me. You know, I've got to answer that, you know, and then uh, the other thing is just busyness. We, many times we just fill up our lives with uh, unimportant but urgent things that are busy. We got to get it done. And we have this tyranny of the urgent. Uh, the third box I want to talk about is this one right here. And this one, uh, is a lot of fun for a lot of people, especially men. Men love this box. Uh, TV binging, that's mine. And, you know, TV binging is awesome. And Elaine, you know, if she sees me TV binging, she says, what are you doing? You know, I'm TV binging. You know, can't you see my eyes glazing over? And then uh, social media, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all those things, you know, can be just absolutely unimportant and not urgent, and we like to spend time there. Video games. Uh, I've seen a couple of, uh, of grandmas playing this thing called Candy Crush. You know, I don't even know what that is, but it's a thing, and people spend hours doing this. This is uh, the, the box that is not urgent, 
and unimportant, and we spend time numbing ourselves out. And it's really a place where a lot of addictions start. Food addictions, gaming addictions, um, alcohol, drugs can start in those boxes, and we love to spend our time there. And uh, I, I want you to know it's not all bad, but you have to be really careful because it's not important and it's not urgent. It's unimportant and not urgent. And then the fourth box, this is the box that I think we have where God is at home and we're at home with God. And this is the one where it's not urgent, but it is important. It is not urgent, but it is important. And that's where we spend time in relationships. That's where we spend time with God. It's where we play when we play with our kids or we play with our friends or we spend time playing. And then prayer. And prayer is in that box where we pray to God. And uh, one of the things about that box is, is that it's not urgent, so it's not pressing us to answer. And so we can push it away because it's very important, but we can do it later because it isn't urgent. And then uh, things that have to do with planning and vision, you know, every week I have to come up with a, a sermon. And that, to me, is urgent and important. But I can push away planning and vision, but that's really important too because I got to plan those sermon series and I need to plan vision time for, you know, thinking and praying to God about the future of our church and where we're going. And then dating a spouse. Dating a spouse is so important and, and this is where, you know, you do the um, the important thing of spending time. And the other day I was binging and I binged on a Friday night when we usually do something. And it was the NFL, you know, draft. And I told Elaine, I got to watch this draft. And, you, and so I watched it, you know, from four in the afternoon till it was over like, I don't know, nine o'clock or something. And, and all the news that went with it. And Elaine told me as we were getting ready to go to bed, she says, you know, I thought we would do something you know, like a date where we would have some dinner and we could watch something together and we could spend some time together. And I like totally failed because, you know, I was in this box down here and she was wanting me to be in that box. The other one is church and small groups, church and small groups. Right now, people coming back from the COVID, you know, the lockdown, uh, it's really important to be in church and you guys are all here. So it's awesome. Uh, but there's this idea that many times, you know, uh, it's not urgent. So people are not in a small group and they're not coming to church. And I want you to en encourage you to keep coming to church because it's very, very important. Uh, the next one I want to show you, this next slide, is nothing. And the question is, are you going to fill this because it's your life it's your calendar, it's your time, where you're going to find a place to let God be at home with you and you be with home because it takes some time. The other thing I wanted to tell you, and this is so practical, but it, I can't prove it biblically. So I'm just going to step down here and give you my opinion. Men have a nothing box Men have a nothing box. You've probably heard this before. We can be driving on vacation, <clears throat> and I'll be just driving along, and my wife will say, Penny, for your thoughts, what are you thinking? Nothing. 
what? When she first heard that, when we were first married, what are you talking about? She, her mind's going 100 miles an hour all the time. She has to try to slow her mind just to go to sleep. And, and she says, you have a nothing going on in your brain? Said, yeah. No, you're, you're, something's going on. Tell me what's going on. Nothing. You know? And men have a nothing box. And I want you to know, and this is just, this is just crazy, I know, but that nothing box for me leads to praying to God. That God becomes important to me and when I'm in my nothing box and then all of a sudden, oh, it becomes thankful. Thank you, Lord, and thank you, God. And, and, then, and then I begin to pray to him. For women, this could also be for men too, but for women, if you ever get overwhelmed, if you ever become overwhelmed, not, not stress, not just stress and not just anxiety, but overwhelmed with a day or with all that's going on. You just become totally overwhelmed. You can't even think. You can't even function because you are overwhelmed. You need to do nothing for 10 to 15 minutes. It is the only thing that will relieve you from being overwhelmed. You will find that if you try to push through it, you try to do all kinds of different stuff, it will not happen. If you're really, truly overwhelmed, you do nothing and you learn to be like your husband and go to the nothing box and you do nothing and eventually your mind will relax, your nervous system will relax and you will be able to start thinking through what you did. And if you're a Christian or if you're a pre-Christian and you feel God calling you, when you go to that doing nothing and that nothing box, one of the things you can say is, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, talk to me. Amen? Amen. Hey, stand with me. I'm going to pray for you, and then we're going to sing a last song. Lord Jesus, thank you for everyone here. Thank you for uh, loving us and caring for us. Thank you for all the things that you do for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for sending us the Holy Spirit the advocate, the one that comes alongside and helps us. Oh, God, thank you. Thank you so much. We ask all these things in your, your son's name, Father. Oh, your powerful name, Lord Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Amen.